Tech Talk. Hi, I'm Johnny Kaplan. And I'm Jesse Katz. And you're listening to the Tech Talk podcast series. So this is episode eight, and we've got some incredible guests here to talk about their technology and how they're getting on with their business. First up, we're going to see some 3D patented radar detection technology for drones. It can also detect people and vehicles. Really, really cool technology and very pertinent today. A number of airports have been shut down because of drones and drone infiltrations. We're also going to see an aeronautics incubator that's funded by JetBlue Airlines and LL. And last up is this car hacking. I'm going to be driving a connected car and a hacker is going to hack in and take over the controls and attack me. Isn't that fun for you, Jess? That is amazing. I think that's actually really important today. You know, you have cars that are a lot more uh, computer than they are. At least they're a lot more computer operated than they are manually operated. You have to have your defense. You have to be able to defend yourself. You know, there's hackers everywhere. There are millions of cars today that have internet connectivity. And just by having that connectivity to the internet means that somebody can remotely get into your car. And if they have the right abilities, they can take over the technology and control it, which is very scary. Yeah, that's, that's pretty terrifying. Let's go and hear from these amazing entrepreneurs and let's hear some of the challenges they encountered. Okay, great. Yeah, let's do that. So first up is Artsis360. We're going to see Mayer and hear how they've developed this patented 3D radar for drones. It's the only one that exists in the world. There's no way of actually checking all the way around on a 3D axis. 360, that's why the name is Artsis360. And let's go hear his story. Okay, great. So tell us about this amazing radar system of yours. Why is it different and why is it needed? This technology was invented by one of the three co-founders, Erez, and it's a new antenna technology that enabled us to do a 360 3D radar with very low price. The traditional radars only have a very narrow field of sight, so most radar systems are unable to look all the way around them. They can only look in one direction. What's the benefit of this? Why, why 360? We're talking about a new threat called drones. And the drones are coming from anywhere. So you need to be able to scan 360. So with the current technology, you have two ways to solve the problem. Either you put it on something that is rotating mechanically, which is problematic in terms of maintenance, or you put four radars. So by definition, the 90 degree is expensive. Anyhow, you multiply it by the factor of four, you become very expensive. Our technology, which is 360 by definition, is allowing us to do a 360 radar 3D, very non-expensive. You've touched on a very sensitive subject here, drone threats, which are becoming more apparent by the day. Almost all countries around the world are seeing some kind of drone threat, and they don't yet have systems in place to verify what's going on, and then to do some kind of offensive action to actually protect themselves. The drones today are just in an embryonic level. We are going to see and an amazing pace of growth because now the drones are recreational and we're moving in an era that drones are going to become a tool to, to deliver goods and afterwards we'll be delivering people. So we'll start seeing bigger drones with carrying probably 10 pounds of material and the threat has become more imminent. 
So I know you have backing of the Technion University, which is very, very prestigious in its own right. So tell us a little bit about the funding that you've received and, and where you're at right now. We got money from the TRDF, Technion Research and Development Fund. We've also the Kibbutz Chatzirim Investment Arm, which is also an investor. And we've got angels that invested. We also are back about $2 million by the Israeli chief scientist. So probably know all about $5 million. It's quite a phenomenon that with this amount of money, with eight people, we were able to develop such a very sophisticated uh, radar. It's not just drones that you, you, you can detect, right? The radar can detect people and cars and so on. So, so what are the other services that you offer? Because we are targeting the civilian market, the ability for, of our system to be multi-features, multi-vertical uh, markets at the same time, it's actually saved money and it's become very efficient. And you have the, the same radar, detects people, detects drones. It's very complicated to do that. But we, we, we did it because we wanted to keep the price low and be affordable to this kind of organizations such as prisons, uh, 44,000 airports in the world, 65,000 power stations in the world. Each one of them are in, under threat. Sometimes the threat is imminent now, sometimes it will become a threat, and the awareness is growing. So we believe that the market is just embryonic and it's going to explode in terms of numbers. Fantastic. There's various different security protocols that you need this for. And it's wonderful that your system is able to move across different formats to see all sorts of objects, doesn't matter what it is, if it's moving and it's creating a threat, then you can identify it and you can decide from the control and command center what to do with it. Yeah, so let's say take a city like Tel Aviv or New York. We are moving into an era that the drones are going to be used for doing deliveries. So if you want to do delivery in an urban area, you cannot say, okay, any drone can fly. It's going to be a disaster. You need to set up regulations, set up rules, set up venue of traffic, etc. But you need also a sensor, a 3D sensor that will look at the sky and say, here's a drone, here's a drone. Be able to communicate with the drone, confirm its identity. All this together is in our roadmap. So currently the market is the anti-drone market. The detection and tracking and enabling a camera, enabling a, a jammer, to deter the, the, the drone. But in, I'd say in two, three years, we're gonna see an ecosystem of deliveries and we're gonna be a player in this market. I think that's one of the amazing things you were telling me about the system is it's not just that it identifies a drone, it doesn't communicate with it, it just tells you there's a problem. But the wonderful thing is that just like an aircraft that goes into a no-fly zone, they call the pilot and they say, identify yourself, who are you? Tell us your rank and, and ID, which army you're from. And based on the communication, the response back, they decide what to do. And very similar in your system, you actually communicate with the drone. You have the ability to check the drone's protocols and make sure it communicates in a credible way. And you'll only action something if you believe it to be a threat. Every drone must have a certified transponder, which means that if you fly the drone, we as a system can communicate with the transponder and say, who are you? I am Amazon 145 flying flight number 96. I confirm that. And then I ask, where are you? So you are giving me the GPS information. I look at the data of the radar. I compare things so I'm able to make sure that you are a legitimate drone compared to a malicious drone that might be using the same system to deliver 10 pounds of Semtex to blow up something. Incredible stuff. So tell us a little bit about the team, how you guys came together. We are three founders. We are totally eight people. The three founders, one is the actual inventor of the technology, which right. is the most important person. He is a veteran of uh, ELTA, which is the radar house of Israel. 
and also a researcher in the Technion, and also a veteran of 8200, which is the most sophisticated ITAC uh, engineering and technology unit. Yeah. Yes, and the second person is the CEO of the company, Amir, which is also 8200 electronic engineer. I myself just a simply infantry guy, but this is my third startup. So I managed about six other international companies. So we are very different, really heterogeneous, and it's an exciting situation of running a startup in Israel and, and achieving these kind of targets. So you're based in Israel. I can see that the, uh, the brains and the intelligence and the technology behind this is Israeli genius, as they call it. So what's your plan really for getting this into the international market? We have assigned several distributors worldwide. One of them is in the US, and we are now targeting the US market because it's probably something like a third of the worldwide market. Right, so it's really about just getting your message out there, uh, spreading the word, and then making strategic partnership deals with the right people. Yes. All sounds very interesting. I can't wait to see the system in action. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. pleasure. So that was really interesting, and I think these guys are going to be very successful with their technology. There's lots of airports and governments that are looking to uh, protect themselves, so I think they're going to have a lot of customers lining up after seeing this. Yes, I think especially now because, you know, we've seen even on this show how many unmanned vehicles are really being used. And so to be able to detect them uh, in order to protect yourself, I think, is fundamental. And so it's a great venture. Mm -hmm. I agree. Very much so. So next up is Cockpit Innovations. It's an aeronautics incubator. They focus on technology for the airline industry. It's an industry that traditionally doesn't see a huge amount of innovation, certainly not by the customer. And of course, we would love to see new technology in the airlines, you know, providing Wi-Fi and all sorts of new functionality. Trust me, as somebody who flies all the time, I cannot wait to see every single new function on an airplane. So this is really exciting. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. And I think these guys, you know, they're funded by, as I said, it's an incubator funded by JetBlue and LL Airlines. So they've got some big names. They're supporting them and they're going to do great things. All right, this is really exciting. I'd love to see this. Let's go. So I'm here with Henry Weinstein, the CEO and founder of Cockpit Innovation. Henry? Hi. So Henry, tell us a little bit about this travel, aviation and aerospace fund. We launched Cockpit almost three years ago. And we were pretty much the first ever corporate entity professionally investing in startups in travel aviation and aerospace. Even today, there aren't a lot of players in that space. And it pretty much means that the startups that we work with will probably become the biggest and most successful in that space. And as we know, you had backing of El Al, the Israeli uh, national airline. So you have some serious backing there. And some of the partners you've taken on over the last uh, year or so is Boeing, Lufthansa, some of the biggest names in the aerospace and aeronautics industry. True. Because you didn't see too much of activity in our space, so it meant for us to think bigger. And instead of just focusing on what we can do with Elal, we targeted the whole industry, meaning that we grow our ecosystem, based in Israel, of course, but we expanded that into partnerships with JetBlue in the past, with IATA, which is the Air Travel Association for Airlines, and hopefully soon we'll be able to announce a few other new partners. What we focus on, instead of just writing checks, is the commercialization aspect, the strategic value, because the real problem for startups in our space is to get the first client, and then the next five, and the next 10, and make the right moves to create the right value in the industry and grow accordingly, understand the landscape through real business opportunities. And, and that's what we provide.
traditionally airlines are seen as being very technology adverse in the sense that they don't innovate, they don't evolve very quickly and they certainly need some help and some boost forwards. Well, I would look at it uh, from a different angle. So if you look up until the 70s, e-commerce really didn't exist at that point, And it was pretty much invented by airlines or the travel industry, right? The travel agents and the ability to really get a quota of, of a ticket anywhere in the world. That, that was the initial version of e-commerce. And the mixing and matching of uh, exactly. flights and tickets yes. and destinations. Exactly. And so. and so you could say the travel was like the founder of e-commerce uh, to some extent. But the problem is the way it was structured uh, limited the way forward. And everywhere else, retail and everything kept going forward where aviation pretty much stayed behind. And so right now we're seeing this new awakening and I'm, I only see this getting stronger as we go forward. Tell us a little bit about your history. How did you get into innovating for this industry? So personally, my background is technological. I started in the technology unit of the Intelligence Corps in Israel, essentially in electro-optics. I did that for a few years, and then I matured into a position with the Prime Minister's office. Overall, I had maybe nine or ten years of uh, working in that space. And then I moved forward to working at some startups, but I transitioned slowly into creating platforms for entrepreneurs because I had issues as an entrepreneur and I tried solving them in my free time pro bono for other entrepreneurs. So tell us about some of the companies that you actually are interested in and, and the ones that you actually invest in. What types of technology? So, so far we've invested in artificial intelligence, corporate travel, dynamic pricing, revenue management. Just recently we had a deep look into a wide batch of startups, uh, all the way from uh, fuel efficiency, flight planning, drones, and we've also looked at maintenance and cargo. So some of these things are very aviation oriented, mm -hmm. but in the end, all of them are technology companies. I think pretty much we have the best team in the business. We're able to execute on opportunities very quickly, and I think that's our secret sauce in the end. This type of business, it's all about the people. You based yourselves in these wonderful offices in the heart of Tel Aviv, uh, the labs offices, where you have the ability to connect with all types of entrepreneurs and innovators. We really like the co-working model, mainly because we're uh, relatively small and agile, but it makes perfect sense to us to live within the ecosystem. So how is the customer, the passenger, how is he actually going to experience these changes in, in the coming years? Travel as a whole and aviation, obviously commercial aviation, is going towards what we call uh, hyper-personalization. So for example, we've invested in a startup that's in the booking area mm -hmm. and they enable you to book the same hotel you would book on any website you already know, but you could book the same thing for 20 to 50% discount. Because what they do is they aggregate all the different sources of inventory and they will split it into two reservations or one and three nights. Whatever gets you the best cost, exactly. basically. And then in the end, they'll give you more flexibility and they'll provide you with a better price. And this is just really the start of the technological revolution. Rather sitting on a smoky plane with no TV screens, no radio, now you have movies, now you have access to the internet, you can connect your smartphones, your laptops. Obviously there will always be you know, these different, uh, right, there's business and there's economy and that will probably uh, persist. But the experience right now in economy, you know, it's better than you had in business a few years back. Sure. And so, as a passenger, it doesn't matter which class you are, you, you, you'll benefit from that. Fantastic stuff. So that was really interesting. Thanks so much, Henry, for explaining to us further about cockpit innovations. So our final guest for today is Argus Cybersecurity. They just got bought out by Continental, the tire company, for half a billion dollars. 
It's a cybersecurity platform and software application for connected and autonomous vehicles. Connected vehicle is really defined by having internet connectivity, and there are already hundreds of millions of them on the road. So each of those cars with internet connectivity are vulnerable to outside hackers. And, you know, there's lots of governments and organizations around the world that are looking to cause harm. So it's a very, very impactful technology. I'm going to be driving one of their connected cars, uh, and apparently they're bringing a trained hacker to hack into the car whilst I'm driving it. That sounds safe, Johnny. I wish you the best of luck. Wear a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> you can sit on the sidelines and watch from a safe zone. <laughs> oh, trust me, there's no way I'm getting in that car. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for you. All right, let's do this. So, Nicole, here we are in the connected car. Tell us, what is a connected car? A connected car is basically a car that is connected to the outside world via internet and to the cloud. It means that it has many tech vectors such as cellular, 3G, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and all of these gives hackers the ability to penetrate the car and control it remotely. So any internet-ready device, one that you can get your GPS, you can get your phone calls, your browser up, is effectively vulnerable to hacking from a, a vigilante somewhere across the world who's determined to get into your device. Exactly, especially when you were talking about products that weren't meant to be connected to the internet. So basically you add the connectivity afterwards and it gives you a product that is very vulnerable to cyber attacks and it gives hackers a pretty easy access to your vehicle. And, you know, given enough time and money, they will succeed. Sure. How long have cars actually been connected? So cars are connected for a couple of years now. Back in 2013, when Ofer, Yaron, Oron, and Zohar founded Argus, cars were already connected to the internet and the problem was already on the road. So what kind of threats can we expect to receive in a connected car? So it starts from just a prank, like playing with the wipers or the signals and making you scared. And it can go until terrorism and maybe a ransomware when hacker can disable your vehicle and you can't drive again until you give him money. So now I'm going to demonstrate how hackers can control the vehicle remotely. Uh, so first I'm going to perform attacks on the static systems of the vehicle. Then I'm going to perform a kinetic attack on the brakes, giving you a sensation that you probably never had before. I'm already scared. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, I will show you our uh, dashboard that gives OEMs and fleet managers the ability to monitor the cyber health of their vehicle fleet in real time and respond to new attacks. Right, right. So it means if they if they get an attack in a, in a space of time, then the, the company itself will understand that there's been attacked. They'll be able to counter-attack it or deal with the problem immediately. Exactly. They will know what happened, where did it happen, and what's the best way to respond. Okay. Hack in and attack me. Wow, so the indicators have just come on. I haven't touched the indicators at all, and I'm indicating left. I mean, I, I figure that's one of the, the minor attacks. You started me off totally, with the baby it, steps. It can still mess with your mind. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. And it's dangerous in its own right. Oh my gosh, so the braking system is showing up. 
I'm now traveling 191 kilometers an hour, theoretically. <laughs> We're only going about 15, 20 kilometers an hour, but the yes. speedometer is showing me all range of things. The mm -hmm. automatic braking system is on, the speedometer is changing speed. I'm just sending many commands in the in-vehicle network and I'm totally affecting the vehicle. Well, I think you fooled me and you fooled the car, that's for sure. Oh, the air conditioning's on. Wow. You really can access all of the functions inside of this car. Exactly. And as minor they can be, they can be also uh, very serious and can control important features in the vehicle. They can even kill the engine if you want. Wow. Um, and I would like you to imagine that you're doing it in a, like okay. 200 kilometers per hour when I'm killing it. Can I just imagine it? Because yeah. I'd rather do nine kilometers <laughs> that we're yeah, doing. Totally. Wow. Engine's off. It says engine's hot, temperature's hot car is off, I've got no power. I mean, if I was going 200 kilometers an hour, this Someone is a, would, yeah, this is a dangerous, dangerous uh, uh, propulsion force. Wow. You should restart the vehicle. Yeah, I think uh, we, we don't really have a choice here. I basically fooled the vehicle into thinking that it was too hot. Right. And that it had to, um, to shut. Well, it worked and I can tell you, I didn't press any of those buttons <laughs> and everything was going off. So fantastic stuff or not scary stuff rather. As long as it's in the good guy's hands, it's okay. But uh, OEMs need to start putting measures into place. Absolutely. And this is preventative measures. The reason we're, we're testing is, is to show the vulnerabilities. Um, all of the good work that Argus is doing is to discover and identify the threats that are out there and put in place features that enable OEMs and car manufacturers to protect themselves and protect their customers. Exactly, much of the work we did during the first two years of the company was to educate the market and show them that there is a problem. And uh, today everyone understands and uh, they're acting to mitigate the problem. Uh, and we're there to help them. Okay, show me a big one, come on. Let's, Let's see. scare us. Let's see if the brakes can scare you. <laughs> Sounds pretty scary. Whoa, so the brakes are absolutely locked. It looks like the handbrake's on. Sounds like there's a drill under the brakes there. I mean, that can't be healthy. Yes, and did the car go slower? The car did not stop. The car did not react to any of the times I put my foot down on the pedal to brake, and it just sounded like two plates of metal grinding against each other. Yeah, so this attack method is called bleeding the brakes. It means that the anti-lock system of the brakes is depressurized, so no matter how hard you push the pedal, nothing will happen. Wow, that was seriously scary. I think I still have goosebumps after that. <laughs> Pretty scary stuff. I mean, you can obviously hack into the accelerator. You can hack into the brakes like you have, the steering column. I assume you can lock the steering column and possibly even turn it. You exactly. Have access to it. The steering wheel is controlled by an electronic unit and also the acceleration system. Today, we have more than 100 different computers in each vehicle gives you pretty easy access. Wow. And it shows the, the potential threat that can be put on you from an attacker, because if he locks your steering wheel, stops your brakes from working, turns up the, the gas, for instance, you're in a seriously precarious situation. There's nothing you can do, basically. Right. I mean, these are really showing a lot of the benefits of Argus's car security and why systems like this are very, very important. Just like we know in the old days, you know, Norton antivirus on your PC, you would need some kind of antivirus program to sit there and deal with these threats that might come in from remote computers and servers and hackers. This is very much the same thing, but a system designed for connected cars.
Yes, but prevention is just one of the stages in our system. So we also understand the attacks and we give this actionable insights to the OEM and they can act upon it through our system as well. So prevention is just one phase. The others are understanding and responding. They are even more important. Got it. So I'm here with uh, Monique Lance, the Director of Marketing for Argus Cybersecurity. Hi. We just had a wonderful demo with one of your team, Nicole, and I was shocked to see how easily accessible the car is. When you're actually in the car and suddenly someone takes over the brakes or the accelerator or locks the doors, it's pretty scary. I mean, you, you, you're inside a, a mechanical vehicle, one that we trust implicitly. We've been driving for decades now, these automobiles. And we see the threat as the momentum, you know, uh, driving too fast, uh, attacks on the road. But actually, you can be attacked doing everything right. You can mm -hmm. be driving safely, mm -hmm. in the lane, according okay. to the law. And then somebody can actually access your system remotely. He could be on the other side of the world. He could have his own malicious intentions and put you in a lot of jeopardy. What's interesting is that that demonstration was performed on an older vehicle. That's not tomorrow's vehicle. It's not even a vehicle that came off the assembly line yesterday. So these vulnerabilities are already on the road. And so it's been uh, vital for us to have the automotive industry understand this and start to address it as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Automotive cybersecurity for our hackers is exceptionally exciting because the automotive world is full of the newest technologies. So it gives them also the ability to work with the newest of technologies and use that expertise in a positive way. So what's really the next stage for Argus? Well, right now we're growing and our mission is to protect all new vehicles on the road. And obviously that's fairly ambitious, but we want to be protecting most of the new vehicles on the road by 2023. So we've got a lot of work to do. And the fact that we're required by Continental enables us to reach that vision much, much faster. Fantastic. So um, this is your head office here, these wonderful office here in Tel Aviv. You have some other locations around the world. That's right? right. We have offices in uh, Detroit. We have an office in Stuttgart, Germany, and also in Japan and in Silicon Valley. Fantastic. Well, there's certainly a need for your technology. It's only going to go further. We're, you know, we've been to see people have flying cars these days, so you can imagine the danger, not only while you're still on the road, but once you get into the air, the danger becomes even more apparent. So uh, we wish you the very best of luck. Thank you very uh, much. We'll be certainly be following your footsteps and see how you guys are getting on. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Whoa, so that experience was just mind-blowing. I've never ever felt so uncomfortable driving a car before. Uh, generally when you get in a car, you've got the keys, you turn it on, you feel like you're in control of it. But that was really sort of getting into a car, who knows who could take over control of the car. So thank goodness for companies like Argus who are developing this cybersecurity software um, that's actually going to protect us because, you know, some rogue hacker hacks into my car whilst I'm driving across, you know, a huge bridge or something like that and he decides to turn the wheel and step on the gas, you know, I'd rather have a little bit of cybersecurity software in the car. 
I think it's so necessary right now. I think that your average human does not think that somebody can hack into and take over your car and cause you harm. What he doesn't realize is that as more and more of the functions in our car become computer operated and less manually operated, that becomes a really big danger and a huge factor. It's it's absolutely possible. So I'm really interested in seeing their cybersecurity. Yeah, and how it changes the world really protects people. So I, I agree. And I think that's why Continental have invested in them, you know, bought out the company. They they see the power in this technology and the need for it. So I think we'll see big things from them in the future. I'm I'm really excited to see this. Sooner rather than later, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So keep listening for episode nine. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. You may also visit us at electrocast.com. The Tech Talk podcast is a co-production of Tech Talk Media and Electrocast Media. Executive producers are myself, Johnny Kaplan, Ronald Hans, Mark Netter, and Peter Rafelson. Special thanks to our associate producer, Sienna Jackson, our podcast recordist, Adam Kleinberg, and our audio editor, Chris Souza. Join us in our next episode, where we continue our journey to the world's most amazing startups to bring you one step closer to our incredible new technological evolution. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid.